there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. And get drunk at a rich guy's house, even if they might be dead. That we do, that we do. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys, you read the title. You know what we're doing here? I showed Scott a really interesting film today. I'm excited to talk about it because it's not a good or a bad movie. It, it goes beyond the realm of good and bad. It is just fascinating on so many levels. It's better than it has any right to be. That is also very accurate. I'm talking about Weekend at Bernie's, released in 1989. And, God, I laughed a lot more than I thought I was going to. Same. So, like, here's the thing. For those of you who haven't seen this movie, it's okay. I think we would both strongly suggest you watch it. <laughs> Whether you end up liking it or not, I feel like it'll be a good use of your time. <laughs> the thing about Weekend at Bernie's, like, everyone knows the concept. Right. I feel like this movie is more known just for its premise than, like, for actually, like, is the movie good or not? Because I think you hear the concept of the movie and you're like, oh, that sounds like shit. Because <laughs> that's certainly what I thought. You know, it's uh, two guys partying at a dead guy's house and they're trying to fake that the dead guy's still alive. That's the premise of the movie. Yeah. When I first watched this movie, I want to say like maybe a year or two ago for the first time, I really just watched it thinking that, oh, this is like an infamously bizarro 80s movie that I'm sure is going to be so bad it's good, right? This is known as like the dead guy movie. Two bumbling bros walk around with a dead guy. Oh, comedy. The reason I wanted to show this to Scott is because I was pleasantly surprised, appalled even, aghast at how actually good the movie is. <laughs> like, it's genuinely funny and it's got no right. No right at all. <laughs> the other thing about this movie is there is no other time than the 80s that this movie could have come out. Absolutely. This is one of those movies that could never come out today. I think even in my meme that I put on Instagram kind of promoting our episode for Weekend at Bernie's, I put something along the lines of, oh, the 80s, uh, when corpse desecration was funny. And it's like, yeah, man. And it's even more bizarre when you learned that not only did this movie make bank when it came out, but it got a fucking sequel? A sequel. Where could you go from here? Like, I don't know. It's it's so... I don't get it. Well, we're playing fast and loose with the rules of how long does it take a body to start breaking down? And de yes, decomposing. and de We're not really operating in the realms of logic. Actually, when we were watching this movie, Scott made a great comparison to how I felt about one of the main characters. We're gonna talk about our players here in a moment, but I compared one of the main guys who kind of concocts this crazy plan to pretend or to act like this uh, dead person is still alive, you know, and hijinks ensue because of course it's an 80s movie. I compared him to Ferris Bueller, and I say that because when we did our Ferris Bueller review, where Scott showed me that movie, I did not find Ferris Bueller particularly charming, like I feel like a lot of people do. I saw him as a sociopath, because <laughs> that's the only way that some of the things that happen in that movie make sense to me, <laughs> and it's kind of similar in this movie, where like, there's a lot of, you know, hijinks and pratfalls and funny jokes and things, which is all well and good. But then you're like, you think about it for just a minute and you're like, oh, this guy's clearly insane <laughs> or just morally inept. <laughs> oh, I think this guy's worse than Ferris, though. It's just to put it out there, the two main characters in the movie didn't actually kill the dead guy, so it's fine, question mark. But no, Ferris wasn't actually involved in or, you know abreast of a guy's murder so I guess that's better but uh you know not by much <laughs> 
if you can tell by our preliminary chitter chatter about this, it's going to be a bumpy ride, kids. I suggest you, you know, pack up your uh, beach attire and your swim trunks and your surfboards because this is a summer movie on the beach and we're going to have a grand old time and talk about some dead guys. So... <laughs> <laughs> this movie is directed by a gentleman named Ted Kotcheff. He also directed First Blood, yeah. which came out in 1982. I don't know anything really about that movie. I think Scott has it on his list for me. I just know Sly Stallone. It's, it's Rambo. Is it, is it Sly Stallone? Yeah, it's Rambo. Okay, okay, it's Rambo. Cool, cool, cool. So, wait, let me get this straight. The same guy, because now I need to wrap my head around this, the same guy who made Rambo... <laughs> mm-hmm made Weekend at Bernie's. Ah, yes, indeed. Isn't that interesting? This black comedy slash 80s beach movie, yeah, is the guy who directed Rambo. I I just got a headache just trying to wrap my head around that. (laughs) Well, get ready for this, babe, because uh, the movie was written by a guy named Robert Klein, who was also an executive producer on the movie. And he also wrote and directed the sequel to Weekend at Bernie's. And he also wrote him National Lampoon's European Vacation, which we know you love so much. It's the worst of the vacation movies. Um. Uh, mind you, after uh, we watched the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, I think last year for our Christmas episode, I introduced Scott to that movie. So Scott being the completionist that he has had to watch all of the National Lampoon Vacation movies. I told him not to, guys. You know, I told him it wasn't necessary, but he didn't listen to me. And then he had to watch European Vacation, but he did it to himself. <laughs> I did. You did I, it to yourself. It's it's just funny how a series can get such a diminishing return as it goes on. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the original Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, boy. First of all, I'm going to talk about the sequel in a second. But, like, I just... We can't find it anywhere like, we can pay for it with money, but, like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, why would I want to own Weekend at Bernie's 2? It was released in 93, which was four years after this movie came out. And uh, apparently the plot is, like, bizarre. The dead guy from this movie is still dead in the second movie, believe it or not. Not decomposed in the slightest. So how do they get the dead guy to still be dead and like in one piece? Well, apparently he is reanimated due to a voodoo spell and that's the movie. Oh. I don't know, guys. This is what we're working with. But it's okay. This movie is actually good. <laughs> it's gonna be okay, guys. We're gonna get there. But it had a budget of $15 million and had a worldwide gross of $30 million. Okay. So So it made a decent return on its uh, budget there. And it has a Rotten Tomato score of 54% with the critics and 57% with the audiences, which I can understand, right? Because on its face, it sounds fucking insane and stupid. It is utterly stupid. It's super dumb and like it's kind of similar to what we were talking about last week with Air Force One in that a lot of incompetence has to happen for hijinks to ensue in the film. That's kind of where we're at with this as well. Exactly. But for some reason, even in its stupidity, the thing about like a dead guy being at a party with thousands of people or whatever... And no one realizing that he's dead. It's still funny. Like, it's still ridiculous. I I can't believe that this movie... (laughs) Like, I I still can't wrap my head around this movie to a degree because of how insane the idea... Like, imagine someone coming into a Hollywood studio today (laughs) and going, Hey, I want to pitch you an idea. I want to pitch you... Two guys get invited to a rich guy's house. They've come to the rich guy's house. He's dead, so they have to fake he's alive for an entire weekend. Just so they can, like, party and stuff. And that's that's played as totally fine. 
it's an anomaly and that's why i say like i understand if you're listening to this right now like what are these fucking idiots talking about this sounds horrible like it is but it's not also it's an anomaly and that's why i highly encourage you to just like watch it with your eyes it's on hulu if you have hulu and you're able to sit down and just peruse it i highly suggest you do because somehow this fucking guy who wrote european vacation managed to pull out like just squeeze out of his butt cheeks the tiniest turd of like a golden goose like i don't understand how this happened also honestly if you go in expecting a bad movie and or expecting a what the fuck movie you're gonna i think end up positive right your expectations are gonna go above and beyond what you expect that's kind of how i felt about it like Go if you go in thinking, oh, this is they're saying this is a good movie. Don't do that. Don't don't take our word for it. Keep your expectations in the gutter. You will thank me later. <laughs> okay. Um. So I I feel like we shouldn't hype up the crowd any more than we already have. I feel like we should just go right into this and and, and set up the the plot of this movie. Yes. All right, so we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. Yes, let's get into the nitty and the gritty. All righty, so first things first, got to meet our two main characters. It's kind of the typical archetype with a buddy, I was going to say buddy cop movie, but this is really just like a buddy, two buddies in a movie getting into trouble, right? So we got Larry, our laid-back buddy, played by Andrew McCarthy who we have talked about previously on the show way back towards like one of our first episodes I want to say that we ever did was uh, when I showed Scott Pretty in Pink. Andrew McCarthy is just one of those guys in the 80s that was very much like he was in like the Brat Pack. He was in St. Elmo's Fire, uh, Mannequin. Remember Mannequin, guys? (laughs) That was a movie that existed in the 80s. He's he's a pretty boy. He is For sure. You know, he's one of those guys that... You put in a movie because you wanted girls to be like, oh, Andrew McCarthy. Right, right, fair. But then he also doesn't get the girl, though, in the movie. Our other guy does. But he, he's like the, uh, the loose cannon, Larry. Uh, he is our sociopath slash Ferris Bueller of the film. He, he's the bad influence friend, but he's just so charming that you don't you just are cool with it i guess i don't know it's it's we're gonna talk about him a lot i feel like but then we have our other main character richard and uh he is more the straight laced kind of like fumbling awkward guy but you know he's just trying to do the right thing he's he's trying to keep his head on straight all that good stuff you know great dichotomy and he's played by jonathan silverman this film is by far his most known credit but I, I pointed out to Scott that he know, actually knows him from an episode from his favorite show. I know I've talked a lot about my favorite show on this show, which is Supernatural. I, I used to reference it a lot more than I do. Maybe I'll have to get back into the habit of that. But <laughs> Scott loves Psych. I do. He watches it all the time. Like he has watched it so much that I have, of course, eventually got into it and enjoyed it myself. But Scott is like obsessively in love with Psych. And uh, this guy, Jonathan Silverman, was in an episode of Psych. He played like this... Lime Ryan. Crazy lying guy. Yeah, like compulsive liar. He was really funny in that episode. It's very funny because, yeah, the dynamic of this duo is something we've seen a lot. For sure. You have the straight-laced guy and you have the lunatic. I mean, they're very Ferris and Cameron. It's an easy formula to recreate. Yeah, and believe it or not, I mean, this kind of says a lot for the time that this movie was made, but originally Weekend at Bernie's was considered to be a, a vehicle for Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Oh, the Corys. That was early on, but then I think later they decided to age up the characters a little bit, so, you know, it didn't work out. And also I think John Cryer also tried out for both of the roles. I think he almost had Andrew McCarthy's part. But then they switched that at the last minute, which I mean, thank God. <laughs> I mean, I like John Cryer and all, but like that's that wouldn't that wouldn't work as well. I feel like <laughs> that makes one of us. Um, I can live without John Cryer. I mean, he seems like a lovely guy. Yeah, he, we uh, love Ducky. No. Oh, I just realized that. Oh my God, Ducky got replaced. <laughs> he 
Andrew McCarthy again. Oh, Dougie can't catch a break. Poor guy. So we established that uh, Larry and Richard are some low-level guys at a New York City insurance company. And uh, we get kind of just an establishment of their grungy-ass shitty life in New York City over opening credits with a Jermaine Stewart song called Hot and Cold, which is both in the opening and closing credits. And it's it's a fucking catchy-ass song. Oh, yeah. It gives you very summer movie vibes, which is like what this is. I mean, it takes place primarily on a beach in the Hamptons. This is like the the great thing that happened. When we were watching this movie, right? I was like, okay, either Scott is going to get on board with me on this or he's going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is terrible, right? So during this opening credit sequence, Larry and Richard are walking through the city on their way to work and just you know coming across random hijinks along the way right establishing that this is a ha 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 movie right so there's one part of the opening credit sequence where they're walking through the park i would only assume central park because new york city right yeah so they're walking through the park and they get held up by this guy he's like give me all your money and larry just looks at him He's like, oh, God, fuck off. It's too hot. And then walks away. And Richard's like, sorry, buddy. And keeps walking. And the fucking gunman is just standing there like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, so confused. And Scott bursts into laughter, like uproarious laughter that I have never heard, like, in our sh- one of our Shoot the Flick watches in, like, so long. I was, I was, fl- I was like, thank you. Oh He's on. He's in the fucking car he is driving along with me on this adventure i was so excited well it's, it's always funny because okay when you describe the two of us i think i'm much easier to get into movies than you are that's not true i think that is true why do you say that because i usually am willing to even if the movie's shitty i'm willing to buy in a lot quicker than you are I mean, I, you know what? I will concede that uh, there are times when I'm a little more nitpicky with things than you. But, yeah, because it, it's such a stupid joke. And you're like, I don't think I've ever actually seen that before. But these these guys, Larry and Richard, they are hard at work, you know? They're trying to impress their boss and, and move up the corporate ladder and all that good stuff. So they're like going through actuarial reports and just, you know, looking for uh, any discrepancies, any issues that they could potentially improve upon to impress their boss. And it was funny because uh, there's one line where, like, Larry says, uh, oh, uh, we should be at the beach right now. It's so fucking hot. We should just be at the beach enjoying our lives. And Richard goes, well, we could go to Jones Beach and watch the fish disintegrate. And I was just like, ah, home sweet home. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, if you're from New York, you know. You know. How, you know. You know how bad Jones Beach is. You, you know. know. So they're going through these actuarial reports. And Richard, our straight-laced fella, he discovers a series of life insurance payouts that were made on the same death. So he finds that to be very suspicious and the the discrepancy in this account comes out to like $2 million worth of, of money that seemingly has been misplaced or uh, embezzled out of the company. They go to report their findings to their boss. And um, he's, you know, he's a typical New York City CEO kind of character, right? And by that, I mean he's a big old dickhead. And his name is Bernie. Oh, you don't say. And uh, he's played by Terry Kaiser. Scott recognized him from some Friday the 13th movie. Okay, so Terry Kaiser was in Friday the 13th Part 7. Oh, my the God. The one where Jason faces Carrie. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's such a fun movie. He plays the shitty psychiatrist who's trying to take advantage of Carrie. So, yes, we meet Bernie. He's a dick. And uh, Richard and Larry report their findings to him. At first, he commends them for finding this fraud in his company. And as uh, a thank you to them, he invites the boys to his beach house in the Hamptons 
this weekend. A weekend at Bernie's, one might call it. Ah, ah, he said it! He said it! All seems well and good. You know, the boys are very happy. They're like, ah, Bernie, he loves us. Yay, we will move up the corporate ladder and we will be rich and, and affluent and we will have many much cars and many much boobies. But then, unbeknownst to the boys, Bernie is actually the one behind all this fraud. Yes, because he's in the pocket of the mafia. <gasps> Ain't it always the mafia? Especially in New York in the 80s? Yeah, it's always I the mafia. Mean, <laughs> so he meets with his uh, mafia business partner named Vito and a bunch of his cronies. And Bernie basically asks Vito to you know, plan to have these guys killed to keep them quiet about this whole thing. And uh, at first Vito, he agrees to this. But then as Bernie leaves the restaurant, Vito orders his flunkies to actually kill Bernie instead. And we find out why pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, because Vito's wife is sleeping with Bernie. And <laughs> it's just like she runs after him, flirts with him outside the restaurant that... Vito is there. She's fucking trying to play footsie with him under the table. It's literally the most... Like, you would think you would want to be subtle in some way when you're fucking the mafia boss's wife. Like, she's literally just jamming her little footsie into his crotch at the dinner table. And then the second Bernie leaves the table, she gets up and follows him out while the other guys are sitting there. So it's like, can you be a little more obvious? Like, I don't understand. The subtlety is not all there. But, you know, that's the least of this movie's problems, I guess. While all this is going on, actually, our boy Richard, our, uh, you know, straight-laced, rigid businessman kid, he has a little bit of an office romance going on on the side here with our girl Gwen in this movie. She's our love interest, and she's played by Catherine Mary Stewart. She's just a very nice girl that works in the office. She's very shy, and so is Richard, but he eventually gets up the nerve to ask her out on a date and then proceeds to completely lie about who he is, where he lives, who he lives with, and what he does, and how much money he has. And just basically just completely deceive this girl about every single thing in his life. Yeah, he's very bad at this. Because he had the awkward thing working in his favor. And then he basically fucked it all up. Well, it's odd because... okay. She makes a comment that like, oh, I wouldn't want to live with my parents. That's so lame or something to that effect. And Richard lives with his parents. So he doesn't want to let her know that. But he wants to take her somewhere privately. And she has an apartment with a bunch of roommates. So he's like, oh, no, we can't go there. And uh, Larry actually offered up his apartment. But it's a shit show with rats and buggies and grossness. So he's like, we can't go there. So let's just go back to my place, right? So he takes her to his parents' home. It's a whole set of hijinks here. He has to whisper and be very tiptoey and things. And she's like, what are you doing? This is your place, right? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but I gotta be, I gotta be nice to my neighbors downstairs. And then that's all well and good, right? Like normal hijinks, normal romantic comedy mishaps, right? But then he just makes up that his parents are dead. And it's like, you didn't have to do that. No. <laughs> I don't remember even how it comes up. Because she asks how he can afford a place like this. And oh, right. Yes. Whole, oh, this is so stupid. He's like, oh, yeah. He said something like, my parents in like the past tense or something. And she was like, oh, like, oh, like they're gone. And she's like, he's like, yeah, yeah they're dead. A plane landed on their train and it was all. I'm like, stop. They had a horrible stop. train accident and a plane landed on the train. And they. I'm like, what the fuck? Why did you do that? That <laughs> wasn't necessary. And she buys it. Like a dope. I mean, the weird thing about her is like, as far as romantic leads go, 
she's not the worst she actually is not stupid but there are like little moments here and there where like you think she might be stupid but she's she's not but this is one of them so the guy says that his parents are dead and left him a bunch of money how did they die well they took a train and the plane fell on the train and they died okay that sounds like it makes sense but then well now okay here's my question to you do you think she's stupid in this moment or do you think she's just as horny as he is? No, because later, like, they start making out, right? Mm-hmm. And then this fucking big half-naked guy in his boxers comes out of one of the bedrooms and into the kitchen and is, you know, grumbling around, like, half asleep and da-da-da-da. By the way, that is Ted Kotcheff, the director, <laughs> making a little cameo as Richard's dad. And Richard calls him the butler. And <laughs> Gwen is like, mm, that's, uh, that's your butler? Because the dad likes gives him a smart-ass comment. And <laughs> she's like, oh, you, you let your butler talk to you like that? So I think she actually believed the line of shit that he was peddling for a second. But then it's like, okay, so you know he's a liar. It wasn't just a white lie. He lied that his parents were dead. So it's not like a little thing. But she at least finds that objectionable and leaves then like within 24 hours they're hanging out again i don't know it becomes weirder their relationship because they do have chemistry but it's just like okay this guy clearly is not a reliable person as far as telling the truth Um, and like having the best morals in the land (laughs) i don't know how richard doesn't have like a mental breakdown throughout this movie that's fair because there are times he gets real close well, I think that makes sense. Like, I think <laughs> given the, the circumstances, which we'll get to. Like, I think if there was a real sequel, Richard would be in like the nut house, just imagining Bernie just sitting next to him. We're gonna get to all the bullshit that happens, but just keep in mind as we explain everything: these two guys, Larry and Richard, they never have any repercussions for anything they do, as far as legally. Like, they don't go to jail. <laughs> Nothing happens to them because I looked up a little bit about the sequel and it literally takes place, I believe, like right after this movie is done. So there are no consequences for their actions, which makes the ending weird because it is kind of wrapped up in a little bow at the end. But it's like there's so many things that happen that are very not legal (laughs) and very suspect. But I guess we just let that go because movie. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So we cut to the weekend at the Hamptons, man. So exciting. Bernie's got this huge fucking house, man. Bernie arrives at the Hamptons before the guys do. And he meets up with uh, this hitman named Pauly. Pauly actually calls Bernie uh, on a payphone. You know, they talk about the details of how they're going to kill these two guys. And Bernie's going to plant some cash in a fake murder-suicide slash confession note implicating... Richard and Larry in the insurance fraud. So Polly's like, okay, cool, man. Where's your house again? Okay, cool. Got it. Yay. Awesome. And uh, Polly shows up and he kills Bernie with a little syringe in his booty and it's full of heroin and he plants some heroin on him and off he goes and he throws some sunglasses on him and and that's it. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. So the guys show up and then our our movie really kind of kicks off here. Well, I have to give credit to Terry Kaiser here from here on out because to act like a dead guy and get thrown around constantly, that's got to suck. <laughs> I mean, it can't be. I mean, I don't know. It, it depends because you don't have to do any. Like literally all he had to do was keep like a stupid grin on his face and be dead like i don't know i i would imagine it's more difficult for andrew mccarthy and jonathan silverman who kind of had to carry him around essentially throughout most of the movie i feel like the hardest thing for like an actor is to portray like that they're dead well right because they can't breathe also (laughs) because you see it all the time on like the law and order stuff where they have somebody laying on like the the table oh for sure and you can see their chest going up and down because like they're not dead. Right, of course. Also, there are a couple times throughout the movie that... Because for, for a lot of it, he's got the sunglasses on to hide his eyes, right? But even through that, either under the sunglasses or when the sunglasses are completely off, you see his eyes open a little bit, Bernie's, but he's not blinking. So you have to like do that as well, where you have to have kind of that 
half open eye thing and you can't blink and you can't breathe. It's it can't be fun, but I would imagine it's probably easier on memorizing dialogue. That that's a plus. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. So the boys show up and they quickly find out that Bernie is dead. And Larry's reaction immediately establishes that he is the Ferris Bueller of this film. He sees his his boss dead as a doornail and proceeds to say, Why do these things always happen to me? What kind of a host invites you to his house for the weekend and dies on you? I don't understand why he couldn't wait until Monday to kill himself. He was supposed to give me a ride home at the end of the weekend. How am I getting back? It's like, oh my God, dude, he's dead. And <laughs> Richard just like, we have to call the police. And then he stops himself because he's like, oh wait, what if the police think we had something to do with this? And in my mind, I'm like, well, y- you d- you found the heroin in his pocket. So clearly, you know, you could just say we found heroin on him and he's dead. Whoopsie daisy. I guess he overdosed. Like, I don't understand why. <laughs> oh, but then the party shows up. Uh, yeah, well... This is where Larry really shows up to play. Because <laughs> he realizes real quick that, hey, I can take advantage of this. I can get my dick wet. It's so gross. Ugh. And drink some champagne. It's really horrible. <laughs> like, if you just, like, it's played for yucks, obviously, because comedy, right? But <laughs> it's like when you think about it, but the thing that you don't really think about it when you watch the movie you don't think about the implications which i'm always complaining think of the implications right but you don't think of the implications in this movie because it's too funny it's so insane there's people who are like oh bernie oh you're so hot giving him massages yeah it's it's a lot and no one realizes that bernie's dead and then larry's just like okay so here's here's the thing we could call the police (laughs) we could and he just comes right out and says it at one point larry's just like why don't we just pretend he didn't die (laughs) it's literally like that patrick line in spongebob was like why don't we take the town and push it somewhere Somewhere else else. (laughs) i think the line is so great because at one point he goes bernie would want us to have a great time you know he overdosed but he would want us to have a great time. this was his final wish (laughs) For us to party. Oh, my God. And then Richard's just like, oh, you're a disgusting human being, Larry. And then uh, that quickly changes that sentiment when uh, Gwen shows up. And uh, she's at the Hamptons this weekend as well. But, um, yeah, pretty girl shows up. So dead guy in the house is no longer an issue, I guess. After a little bit of the party goes on, they, they try to move Bernie because some people are starting to get a little suspicious. So they pick him up like, you know, like, oh, good old drunk Bernie. He's got to, you know, go sleep it off. (laughs) And they accidentally fling him over like the patio railing and he falls smack down onto the beach below. (laughs) And um, they don't they don't think it's a prudent idea to go and like get him from the beach where, you know, the tide lives they find, I think it's much more prudent to leave him there while Richard goes and flirts with Gwen on the beach. Yeah, and then Larry goes and has a good time at the party. Right, right. Now, um, there's a lighthouse scene coming up between Richard and Gwen, basically establishing that they have some chemistry together. They're both very cutesy together, and Richard is super awkward. He gets blinded by the light and falls down on his butt. He, he gets what? Certainly a douche, that's accurate. But uh, I thought, I just wanted to mention, seeing as how we're North Carolinians now, I feel it prudent to mention that um, the lighthouse in this film, along with uh, pretty much all of the filming, took place in Wilmington, North Carolina, Ah. on Wrightsville Beach, which is two hours away from where we live currently in North Carolina. And uh, the lighthouse is called Old Baldy on Baldhead Island in North Carolina. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So if we wanted to, dear, we could go visit the very lighthouse that Richard falls down in and breaks his coccyx (laughs) in this movie, Weekend at Bernie's. What a classic. And we can do the Bernie. Oh my God, I can't. 
throw your head back, guys, and just like rock your shoulders. I think that's in uh, Weekend at Bernie's too. It dear. is. Oh it, no, there's a whole dance. In there's the, a conga oh, line. I gotta go. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, they they have uh, their little date, and they they're having a grand old time, making out on the beach, you know, like lovers do. And then all of a sudden. Richard's dead boss, remember Bernie? He washes up upon the shore because he got taken in by the tide and he has to somehow hide it from this girl while also getting Larry to help drag him. It's just an embarrassment of hijinks and incompetencies because not for nothing, Terry Kaiser is literally like an inch away from Gwen's fucking face and somehow she does not notice that this dead guy is right next to her, but okay. But his glasses stay on the whole time. Yeah, sure, sure, man. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been hit by the tide, people, but man, shit falls off you real quick. But no, he's fine. Bernie's perfectly fine. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Frankie, Scott, how can this movie get any crazier? How can what, this movie centers around a man? A man dying of murder? And uh, these these two idiot guys taking advantage of his many riches to have a party weekend in the Hamptons. And this is supposed to be entertaining? Wait, it gets somehow more weird. (laughs) So later on that night... Yeah, the mob boss's wife... That Bernie has been fucking... Has now decided she's going to pay Bernie a visit at the Hampton house... And flip out because if Bernie's with another girl, she's going to kill him. Oh, boy. She whips like a kitchen knife out on the guys and they're like, all right, fuck it. Yeah, he's upstairs. And they figure, oh, she's going to go up there, see that he's dead and freak out. And it's going to be fine. Like, oh, he just had a crazy, oh, crazy party weekend, crazy overdose. And, you know, we had a great party night. And that's it. That This will be the end of the road. Oh, well. And it's like... Okay, you, first of all, their cavalier attitude towards this whole situation is really concerning. Again, if you think about it for more than 10 seconds. But what happens next is even more concerning. <laughs> the mob boss's wife. Oh my God. <laughs> fucks the dead body. I mean, you guys, necrophilia. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I'm not kidding. No one here is kidding. She goes up to his room. He's laying in the bed, dead as a doornail. And she decides to get on top of him. And there are moans and and groans. And oh, my God, I want to die. While this is going on, <laughs> this is being watched because Bernie was being watched by one another guy from the mob. Oh, yeah. He was watching to make sure that, like, you know, his body was found and everything, and it was all done and over with. But then he sees him fucking the fucking wife, and he's like, oh, somehow Bernie's still alive. Polly must be a little rusty on his murdering game. Yeah, he, he's still alive. He had sex with your wife for 30 minutes. I don't... And, like, it's it's even worse because when she comes back down the stairs, the guys are like... So is everything okay? Like, is Bernie okay up there? And she's like, oh yeah, never better. (laughs) And they just start laughing. Like, they find necrophilia hilarious for some reason. And it's like, as an audience member, when you watch it, you're not laughing. You're more like just astounded that this is a thing that exists (laughs) in a movie. These characters who are technically supposed to be the people that we root for, right? These these are our guys. These are our main characters. Well, but, well, okay. Let, let's, and they're laughing at necrophilia. Well, it's worse. It's somehow bad okay. when they're partying at the expense of a dead man, right? Because they, mind you, they don't know that this guy tried to have them murdered yet. So it's you know whatever. But necrophilia. Okay. Well, hearty har. Okay. Well, har. Let me step in here. Oh, please do. Try to make some sense out of this. Okay. Now, let's say if you were in that situation. I wouldn't be, you but wouldn't be. okay. Let's say you were, though. Let's say... I have a conscience. Yes, I, I know. Me too. But let's say you were in that situation. But Scott, you really love champagne. <laughs> I, I really love you champagne. You really love champagne and I, girls with big boobies. I, I definitely want to open that cold bottle of champagne. Oh, my God. And Rolexes. Don't forget the Rolex. Yes, don't forget the Rolex. But let's say you're in that situation, and this lady comes downstairs seemingly glowing after all the pleasure she has just gotten. Oh my gone. god, don't, don't, ew, okay, continue the scenario. <sighs> I want to vomit. What are you going to tell? 
hey. I mean, I wouldn't tell her anything. Exactly. You just have I to laugh. I would laugh about it, though. It's almost. I would be horrified. I, I think it's more of an awkward, like. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't awkward. It wasn't an awkward laughter. They're literally like making a joke about it and laughing like, oh, well, I get yelled at when I just lie there. <laughs> nice try, Scott. But it's not an awkward laughter. They're making bits about it. Okay. <laughs> this fucking guy that wrote European Vacation wrote a bit, wrote it down on paper about ha 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 necrophilia joke that's not a thing that people do generally (laughs) but somehow i know it sounds by my horror that i'm like anti-weekend at birdies but somehow despite the fact that they just made a whole ass bit not even just a bit it's it's important to the plot because this is when the mob people find out that oh bernie's still alive quote unquote so it's important to the plot that the necrophilia occurs. Yes. So despite the fact that this joke slash important plot point happens, I'm still on Team Weekend at Bernie's. That should tell you what a miracle this movie is. <laughs> it, it really is because it's fucking insane. So now Paulie, the guy who initially killed Bernie, has to come back the next day. But Richard is... A, asleep till 12 o'clock because of the stress he just passes out larry's playing fucking monopoly with the corpse oh my god the monopoly scene okay can i just tell you a fun fact about this yes okay so in the scene andrew mccarthy has situated bernie onto the deck of this beautiful hamptons house right and they're sitting on these deck chairs playing monopoly quote unquote and he has attached strings to his hands and arms to get him when people walk by say hey bernie he's able to take the strings and move his arms around to like wave at people to further make them believe that this man who was dead is still alive now i just first of all before i get to the fun fact let's just think about that for a quick moment this guy, in the moment, it's funny, right? But if, again, think about it for a couple of seconds. This guy not only has manipulated a dead body to make it look alive, he has attached strings to it and is now manipulating his corpse like a marionette. And he's also doing so while playing Monopoly with the corpse, but really with himself because he knows that the guy is dead. This man is a sociopath, if this was a true crime show, if this was fucking Silence of the Lambs, we'd all be very concerned right now, okay? But it's fucking Weekend at Bernie's. So <laughs> the fun fact I have about the Monopoly scene, this is like, oh my God. Um, Andrew McCarthy, he was on the record saying that the one thing that kept him entertained during the shoot of this movie was board games. So when he was playing with Bernie in the movie, in this particular scene, that is his actual Monopoly set. And he kind of improvised that portion of the scene where he's literally shouting jovially, playing Monopoly with a dead body. First of all, the 80s must have been a hell of a time if Andrew McCarthy was bored by the concept of making a movie about a dead person being marionetted and puppeteered to appear alive by his clearly psychologically disturbed main character, Larry. (laughs) But I digress. Um, Monopoly, ain't that fun? It is. Usually people play Monopoly when they want to go to sleep, I feel like. I don't know. I mean, I feel I've never have I ever heard someone say, hey, want to play Monopoly? You know, for fun. Like, I've never heard those words. I'm sure someone has said them in time. But, like, not many people. And Andrew McCarthy's like, I'm making a movie. I'm a big movie star in the 80s, but I want to play Monopoly instead. In my experience, the two games that usually always end up in arguments or fistfights are Monopoly and Risk. I mean, he needed some, uh, you know, calming forces of Monopoly after all the cocaine he was probably snorting up his nose. Where, where's our Monopoly movie starring Andrew McCarthy? He he can be the Monopoly guy. He can shave his head, get a monocle. It's a Ew, sick no. board game. No. If Bob Hoskins was still alive, he would play a mean Monopoly guy. Monopoly, the horror movie. 
oh god no let's not and not everything has to be a horror movie this is totally off topic but you've seen the poster for that winnie the pooh thing right yes blood and honey i want to vomit like it's so stupid like how there's no if that ends up being good i'm just gonna like give up like in what universe is that actually gonna be a good movie Somebody went and paid for it. It probably was. Bo- it's public domain now. But no, but somebody paid the scriptwriter to for the money, and it's probably like, oh, I bought it for two hundred dollars. I mean, yeah, it's clearly gimmicky. Like, there's no way that, like, the idea of a kid who has his uh, like imaginary friends come to life and like try to get revenge on him or something like that that's not a bad concept for a horror movie like that's kind of interesting and could be cool but like the fucking poster and the images for the movie it looks like a fucking college humor fucking video like it looks stupid as fuck it might have been a college humor video at one point i really thought it was fake when i first saw it i couldn't believe it was real i don't know I, i'm not gonna believe it till it comes out in theaters and it gets like a one star out of five on letterbox i can't i can't think that's actually gonna make it to theaters I mean, it's going to get dropped on some streaming service somewhere. I know. I'm not watching that, Scott. I'm telling you right now. I know you like horror movies. I know you like to try to get me to watch horror movies. I'm not doing it. That's where I'm drawing the line. Anyway, this got way off topic. We're talking about much funner things. So, weekend at Birdies. <laughs> Desecrating of bodies. So fun. So, Richard wakes up in the morning to see this cacophony of just disgusting behavior yeah uh (laughs) and uh richard immediately tries to call the cops but instead while he's trying to call the cops he ends up activating bernie's answering machine which for some reason bernie was a dumbass and he actually recorded his last phone conversation with paulie where he discusses his plans to have larry and richard killed now, okay, I'm going to say Bernie wasn't a dumbass for doing this. I want to say Bernie secretly was going to blackmail the mob because Bernie seems to be the guy who would do something like that. Oh, I guess. Yeah, that would make sense. I was actually wondering that when we were watching him because I thought it was another case of like incompetence leads to hijinks leads to movie plot. But that makes a little more sense not that i like speaking ill of the fictional dead but bernie was kind of a dickhead he was but he was a very savvy businessman dickhead so it makes sense that he would prepare i guess in that way because he always wants more 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 okay creepy are you feeding into the underbelly of morbidness in this movie so after they hear this message and they they kind of freak out at the the contents of the message and that bernie was actually planning on killing them and that he was actually the one behind the insurance fraud and the embezzlement and whatnot so larry once again you know andrew mccarthy slash ferris bueller slash sociopath mcgee comes up with the great idea of well Bernie said in the message, you know, don't kill the two schmucks while he's around because I don't want any ties to this thing. So Larry's like, listen, we just have to keep pretending that Bernie's alive (laughs) and use him as a human shield to protect us from the mob. And as long as we do that, we can use Bernie's corpse as a human shield to escape the island without getting murdered by the mafia. There's a couple more hijinks. Gwen does show up again. Andrew McCarthy does throw Bernie off the balcony again, where he does run into the hitman again and gets choked to death. Oh, yeah. that. Oh, my God. This guy, Paulie, is like a fucking idiot. <laughs> he literally has a dead body fall upon him and thinks that it's Bernie trying to kill him. <laughs> like, doing, like, the spider monkey jump from Air Force One, trying to, like, get the jump on him. So he fake strangles the already dead person. Bernie then gets buried by a kid. Oh, uh, yes, in the sand. Just hijinks. Hijinks galore, Scott. It's yes. fine. <laughs> Finally, after they get Gwen to leave... Larry and Richard finally decide, okay, let's take Bernie, get on the boat, 
get out of here. Of course, they missed the boat, and <laughs> the fucking hitman's on the boat looking at Bernie, who's supposedly walking again. Oh, uh, yeah, because they, they were crafty. They tied Bernie's shoelaces to their shoelaces so they could, like, fake make him walk, which I don't think in practice that would actually work. It could. Because you'd have to, it would depend on, like, the weight distribution, I guess. Right? It kind of. I ain't a fucking scientist. But, but. I can't imagine Bernie <laughs> weighs a lot, so it's like... You, well, Terry Kaiser is kind of on the shorter side. You'd have to walk weird a little bit. Yeah, which they do in the movie. I mean, listen, this is like the least of this movie's issues as far as logic is concerned. But again, we're kind of like on the ride. I mean, give the movie credit. Despite all of the nonsense that has happened and all of the extravagant and elaborate fuckeries that occur we were still on the train right like yeah. you, you were still very much on the weekend at bernie's train oh yeah because now our two main heroes are paranoid that everyone on the island is a hitman true <laughs> trying to kill them they end up knocking out two people that work for bernie and throwing them in the closet yeah that was oh my god because by this point they're so done with everything but also a funny thing that happens here which just adds to larry's ferrousness at some point when they're carrying Bernie around and jostling him about, his toupee comes undone because, of course, he's a shitty asshole CEO corporate guy. So, of course, he's got a rug, you know. So it comes off. And in order to keep up the charade that Bernie is still alive and well, Larry decides he's going to get a staple gun. And uh, staple... Just just stick with me. Staple this dead man's toupee onto his dead-ass skull and parade him around the Hamptons because that is a sign of sanity and yes. not psychopathy. So, yeah, just so many random things happen here. They try to get him out on the ferry. That doesn't work out. They try to get him out on Bernie's own boat. And that doesn't work out because they can't drive a goddamn boat. And at one point, like, Bernie, of course, flies off the back of the boat and is, like, jet skiing behind the fucking boat, hitting every buoy that you could possibly hit between here and the end of, I don't even know what fucking body of water it is. It'd be somewhere in Montauk, technically. Between here and Montauk. And then at one point, because, again, this movie is just, like, terrible implications underlying a sprinkling of hijinks <laughs> so at one point they're on the water and they're just surrounded by all these rich people on their fancy yachts right and as they're driving along you know running into shit and just making a ruckus and breaking everything and anyone in their path this like hoity-toity yachtsman standing like on his boat is just like that's illegal what you're doing is illegal. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, yes. It was like the, the crux of the whole movie just rolled up into that one little, what you're doing is illegal. Yes. Everything here is illegal. Indeed. Everything here. Because mind you, let's just run through the list real quick. Okay? Real quick. And it's not going to include everything because again, we're going real quick and there's so many crimes. I don't know if we can name them all. Fraud. A corpse desecration. Well, fraud, murder, corpse desecration. Well, he didn't. Mur they didn't murder him. No, they didn't murder him. But they maybe, uh, you know, aided and abetted in his murder unknowingly. But it's fine. Um, <laughs> party time. Okay, so um, just for them, fraud, desecration, drug possession, drug possession, assault, maybe fraud, slightly kidnapping, all of the fraud, maybe um, slightly kidnapping, kind of, sort of kidnapping. Did I mention corpse desecration? Yes. I'm pretty sure I did. That's kind of the obvious one. Larceny, because Larry stole the Rolex. Bernie's Rolex, along with, I'm sure, many other things. Fraud. Did I mention fraud? Yes. So much fraud. Breaking and entering. Grand Theft Boat. <laughs> Not Grand Theft Auto, but Grand Theft Boat. Just so many. Grand Theft Golf Cart also. I think they, he steals the golf yes. cart. Just so many crimes. <laughs> The aiding and abetting in necrophilia. I don't know if necrophilia is against the law, but I feel like... Yes, necrophilia, I'm pretty I sure it's against like the law. I feel like that's got to be against the law. And I don't think aiding and abetting in necrophilia is the law, but I mean, it's going to be now. Or at least it would be if this was a real life situation. 
You knowingly let her go up there. I don't think they thought that she was going to have sex with him. But after 30 minutes, I mean, after five minutes, like, what do you think she's doing up there? But God damn, man, if he's dead. But she was up there for 30 minutes. He must be packing. I wanted to vomit. (laughs) (laughs) I still got to do, but it's still funny. I don't know. Maybe we're sick. We might be sick. Anyway, after all of this bullshit happens, right, there are still more hijinks to be found. So Gwen comes over. She has had enough. She is done with Richard's bullshit. She's like, you need to tell me what the fuck is going on because I just saw you with Bernie before you said that he was dead because he did actually tell her Bernie's dead. But then <laughs> but then she, he goes to show her and Bernie has just disappeared because Larry hit him again by like basically wheelbarrowing him over the side of the house. It's fine. Everything is fine, guys. It's okay. Let's talk about the Gwen sequence in this part because the Gwen sequence in this part makes me think that she's a little stupid because okay she's known this guy for like a day and a half yeah like two days let's let's say say two days let's be generous she went on a date with him yeah the day before the weekend then she went to the beach and the lighthouse the second day and then this is the third day so she's known him for like two and a half days right okay then you know she's trying to figure like just tell me what's going on tell me what's going on and then larry is so fed up he literally drags bernie's dead fucking body down the stairs and he's like he's fucking dead and there's mob people after us we don't know what the fuck to do and gwen is rightfully shocked she's like oh my god he's really dead and she looks at richard and he says Gwen, it's okay. We didn't kill him. Do I look like someone who could kill somebody? And (laughs) first of all, yes. Yes, you do. Because you're sweaty and frantic and you and your fucking crazy friend are standing over a dead body. So yes, in my mind, you would look like someone who could kill somebody, especially because I've only known you two and a half fucking days. (laughs) Not only that, so the two guys who they hid come running out and they knocked them out again. Just so over it. They're like, oh, shut the fuck up. Go to sleep. <laughs> and then finally the hitman comes back and shoots Bernie four times in the chest. Polly has also had enough. Actually, by the end of this movie, is carried away in a straitjacket because he has just lost his fucking mind. Because he thinks that no matter what he does, Bernie is just going to keep on living. Which is not a bad assumption, I guess, because... There's a second movie. There's a second movie and he's still ticking. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. Anyway, so this... Oh, God. I'm exhausted talking about this. It's such high-octane drama. I wasn't this excited during Air Force One. Well, so, you know what? If Harrison Ford fucked a dead body... Oh, my God. Please, please stop. Please stop. Okay. <laughs> I want to go home. I'm already home. <laughs> I want to go home. Fucking Paulie, the hitman, right? He turns his attention to Richard and Larry and Gwen, starts chasing them around. And Larry, I don't know if they were attempting to give him, like, an arc. Because throughout the movie... Larry has multiple times shown that he does not give a fuck about Richard and he's incredibly selfish, not to mention sociopathic. Again, very much like Ferris in not giving a fuck about Cameron's diastolic. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. Do you know what my diastolic is? Be a man. Just not giving any fucks. So in this moment, while they're being chased... Larry stops and is like, okay, you and Gwen go hide and I'll basically throw myself at this guy's mercy and distract him while you get away and hide and call the cops. So I I don't know if that was like the movie's way of telling us, see, Larry's a good guy now. He's learned his lesson. Well, immediately after that, Richard and Gwen go, okay, sure. And they run and hide in the room. And Larry goes, oh, we're not even going to have a discussion about this? (laughs) You're not going to even try to stop me? Okay. So this part is really funny, actually. There's a lot of physical comedy in this movie that is really funny. And this is probably my favorite part. Larry is being chased around by Paulie and like kind of evading him and running. He grabs a phone cord out of the wall and instead of like just 
strangling him, which would be the typical mafia move, right? You get the phone cord, you strangle him. Uh, he kind of fucks that up because, you know, not a mafia hitman, a sociopath, but not a mafia hitman. But he still manages to somehow hogtie Paulie with this fucking phone cord to the point where Paulie like, literally can't move. And then Larry just punches the shit out of Paulie. <laughs> and finally, finally, we get the cops. Which, like... Things move a lot slower in the Hamptons, I guess. You know, fun and fancy free over well, there. Well, the rich people just do what the fuck they want. I guess. So the cops show up. Like I said, they take Polly away in a straitjacket. And this is like, th- this is where we get like our just magical happy ending to the movie. Which, as an audience member, after watching everything that has transpired through all this fucking bullshit in this movie, we described it. I think to the best of our ability, but like I truly feel that it's something you have to see to believe. Yes. So they're taking finally taking away Bernie, but his body ends up flying and scaring our main characters. At yeah, the end. because they're all on the beach at the end, just like ha ha ha. Oh, what a wonderful time this is! And Richard's with Gwen. Everything's hunky and dory. Well, did you hear what they're gonna do after this? So Richard's gonna what? go stay with Gwen. Right. And Larry is, is just going to stay at Bernie's. Oh, is that I forgot that he said that. Ew. I don't understand. How do they not even That's a get crime questioned scene. by the police? Yeah, that is a crime scene also. That doesn't make any sense. But also, it's like, what's more astounding to me is that, again, as I mentioned earlier, everything kind of gets just tied up in a little bow. But, like, there are major implications to what has happened here over the past weekend. And these boys, despite the fact that they, you know, were victims of an attempted mob hit, they're also culpable (laughs) for a lot of shit that happened here. A lot of crimes, at the very least, property damage that nobody is saying. Like, they're not getting questioned by the police. They're not getting hauled into the station to be like, um, so... Because they're going to do an autopsy on Bernie, obviously, right? Well, yes. Just logic would suggest. Well, and then his body's going to show that he died days, days ago. ago. And they're, so they're, they're like the cops aren't going to ask them, like, so you were here in the house, right? Everyone else left at some point. So you were alone with Bernie for like a while and you never noticed he was deceased? And they're going to be like, well, you know. He's a hard partier, right? I can't. I, I just thought he was trying just, to sleep it off. But see, like, that's just the audacity of this film to end on such, like, a cookie cutter, tied in a bow note. And, like, ev- everyone lived happily ever after. Meanwhile, like, murder <laughs> and fuckery. And these two guys are supposed to be our heroes? question mark it's just very odd and it's like a very rushed like happy ending but despite that i still really enjoyed this movie partially for the yucks which are genuine yucks but also partially just for the audacity of it to exist there is no other movie like weekend at bernie's it's insane to think about just on a level like you you couldn't do this today. You couldn't no. have done this in the 90s. I don't even know how it happened. But I, I don't know. I think it kind of just hit that right balance between hilarious jokes and... Absurd premise. Yeah. Because it, it didn't play it totally straight, right? But it also didn't play it totally goofy. It kind of had a weird balance that made it work somehow. Indeed where you really didn't think about the really deep down implications of like what was actually happening and how fucking insane it is. You kind of just enjoy the ride. You let the comedy be the comedy. That's right. the thing. It's a comedy. It's For not- sure. It's a fucked up comedy, but it's a comedy. Exactly. And that's, I feel like the issue with a lot of comedy nowadays is we don't let it just be a comedy. That's probably accurate. Yeah. So that's, that's weekend at Bernie's you guys. And, I must say, I feel like I speak for both me and Scott when I say, once again, you got to check out this movie, man. It really is an anomaly in a lot of ways. It's, again, there is nothing 
nothing else like this movie. Yeah, I feel like I haven't pushed, like, obviously a lot of the movies we watch here, we really dig, right? And we want people, if you, if you haven't seen it, we want you to watch it. If you have seen it and you're listening to us, we want you to rewatch it or just enjoy the conversation, right? But, like, I feel like we've never really pushed a movie this hard. Like, listen, if you haven't seen this movie, you need to see it with your own eyes and experience it. <laughs> I think the only thing we ever pushed this hard was Train to Busan. That's true, because I feel like a lot of people, at least mainstream-wise, didn't know about Train to Busan. I certainly didn't before you showed it to me, and it blew me away. But, um, yeah, so this was Weekend at Bernie. Scott, what did you rate this movie? I gave this movie a three and a half out of five. Again, I'm not saying it's an all-time classic movie. Certainly not, no. I'm not saying you're going to laugh uproariously all the time at the movie. Yeah, some things do fall flat. Some things are really dumb. But if you go in and you just let your mind go and just watch the movie, you're going to giggle. I mean, some things are genuinely really like laugh-out-loud funny. Yeah, they are. You're going to giggle. You're going to laugh. You're going to have a better time... Then when you read the synopsis and you go, God damn it, are you fucking serious? Yeah, this that I read the synopsis to Scott before we watched the movie. I'm like, can't wait. <laughs> it's like, oh God. But yeah, it worked out pretty well. I'm glad I rewatched it actually. It was really fun the second time around as well. I also have it as a three and a half out of five stars. So next week we will be um experiencing yet another crazy movie but crazy in a much different way than uh weekend at bernie's we will be experiencing another marvel movie a more strange marvel movie mm-hmm. <laughs> it's doctor strange anyway um <laughs> until then this has been shoot the flick i'm frankie sparks I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our weird, peculiar movie adventure. Hey, Bernie, can I get some champagne over here? No, I'm dead, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs>